0: that song everything that we sang is true every word of that song he is the messiah he is the redeemer he is the great i am and my topic today is the exact opposite of what we just sang about because that same god that was the almighty the i am the redeemer the healer the lord of lords the king of kings he left it all to become a baby he left it all to become have the most humble birth possible for us to be able to approach him. You may be seated. I want y'all to keep that in mind. That song we just sang, I was thinking as I was walking up here, I was like, man, that song doesn't really go with my sermon. And then I thought, wait, Chris, that's the point. That was the whole point. Well, as you know, guys, Christmas is only 14 days away, um, and a large portion of our society is in a mad rush to find the perfect present. We've watched all the movies, we've sang the songs, we've drank the hot chocolate, and everybody's getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Everybody's made their travel plans. We're going to aunt so-and-so's, uncle, uncle so-and-so, or we're going to grandma's house, or we're doing all the things. And, and it's all about things for most of America. And it's so sad that for so many people, the holiday has turned into just a big day of stress. Um, just got to plan this and plan that and run, 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 fast as you can can't catch me and this morning what i want to do is i want to remind you about the true meaning of christmas and it's not what you think it is i know you we've all heard a lot of christmas sermons but it's not what you think it is but i want you to i want to show you what the christmas story reveals to us about the person of god and it is only by taking the time to stop and look at the true meaning of christmas that we can really find a reason to celebrate the 25th of december We can also be challenged about the ways in which we celebrate the 25th of December. And in churches around the world for the next two weeks, there's gonna be a lot of sermons about Joseph and Mary looking for a place to stay, the manger over here, looking for a, a nice place, the shepherds in the fields, the angels declaring God's glory, all that's, there'll be plenty of sermons. But my focus this morning is going to be on the humility of God. For in that, we find an example of how God wants us to respond both to him and to others. You might think, just hearing that word, the humility of God, that I'm, oh, Chris, you're about to, uh, God's not humble. God's great. Don't, don't tell me something that's heretical this morning, Chris, but I'm going to tell you that even though you may think that the idea sounds a little strange at first, it, or, or isn't even biblically accurate, I want to assure you it is gospel truth, and it is not a heresy. We're going to look at Philippians 2 this morning, and I want us to read uh, verses uh, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and I'm I'm a KJV guy, but sometimes I need to read it in a different version because I'm so used to reading the KJV that I'm reading things from memory. I don't know about you guys, but I read some things in the KJV, and I've, I've heard them so many times, I just have memorized them and I'm reading them from memory. So sometimes reading a different version, even though I love the, I'm a KJV guy, even though I like that, reading it from a different version sort of brings it back to life again for me. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. This is Paul, he is saying, you guys, if you, if you can, are concerned about those things I just said, then you can make my joy complete, his, Paul's joy, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset in Christ Jesus. That's that scripture we've all heard, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We've all read that scripture a hundred times, haven't we? Did we know what it was talking about? It was talking about humility. When he says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, he's saying, let Jesus' humility be in you. That's what that scripture was about. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So he not only became humble enough to become a man, he became humble enough to die as a man. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is not the normal place for a Christmas message, but it is here that we will gain a very deep insight from the Apostle Paul into the nature of Jesus, the reasons he became a man and what the future holds. See, the dominant theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Paul uses the word 16 times in the book of Philippians. It is the most important word in that book. He's talking about joy. And he uses it, like I said, 16 times. He describes a joy that can be experienced in any circumstance. He, can, he describes a joy that it doesn't, circumstances don't control it. Um, a bad news at the office, bad news at work, bad news at home, those things don't destroy the joy. And he even begins his letter by talking about the joy that he has experienced in prison. He then exhorts the Philippians to conduct themselves in manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That will make his joy complete. We just read that scripture. He further explains that the only way this can be done is if we are in the same mind and maintain the same love, if we are united in the same spirit, and if we are intent on one purpose. And then he tells us this is going to require humility. This is going to require us to not act from selfishness, not think of our own needs, but start to think of others. This humility will require us to change the way we think. What we'll have to do is we'll have to start regarding others as more important than ourselves. And that will be demonstrated when we are looking out for the best interest of others instead of our own. And that really is a good uh, explanation of the love that Jesus commanded us to have for one another. It is at this point paul gives them the command that they should follow jesus example and he says have this mind in you which was also in christ jesus literally what paul is saying is jesus was humble and you should be too that's what he's saying let this mind be in you which was in christ jesus jesus is humble you should be too And in the next few verses, Paul explains this great humility of Jesus Christ. That humility that it took to become a little bitty baby in the manger. Paul's purpose, he was trying to exhort the Philippians to also be humble by following the example of Jesus Christ. And he's going to do that, but he's got to do one thing first. He's got to explain the glory that Jesus had before he became a man. Because it's real hard for us to understand the humility of Jesus without looking at what Jesus left. When we compare the glory that Jesus left to this lowly condition, this manger over here, then we start to see, we just begin to get a glimpse of the humility of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God robed in flesh, right? Everyone in this room agree with me on that? He is God robed in, in flesh. And so Paul begins by looking at that nature and the position that he then took to become that little baby. Paul says in verse six, who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. That verse is loaded in richness concerning the nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus has always been existing in the form of God. He always in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us Jesus has existed from the foundations of the of the earth he has existed as long as there was anything Jesus has existed he is God Paul is making a very clear statement about the divinity of Jesus Christ and that same declaration is made in many other places in the scriptures Hebrews 1 and 3 says and he Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1 and 15 through 16 states, And he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. John 1 and 18 records that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is the, in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him, talking about Jesus. And Jesus then claims the exact same thing in John 14, eight through nine. Philip asked Jesus, he said, show us the Father. Remember that scripture? He says, show us the Father. And Jesus responds, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Jesus is the visible human image of the invisible God. Okay? That's that's the point I'm trying to get across. So Jesus is God. He's robed in flesh, but he is God. We could never see God in person. We couldn't see the glory and the brilliance of God and live. So God put on flesh so that he might draw near to us. Jesus is absolutely and completely God. Many of our Christmas carols that we're gonna be singing the next two weeks talk about the deity of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We sing that one. Other carols refer to the wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. The scriptures are clear that Jesus is God and I'm I'm laboring the point because I got a gotcha in a minute. I'm laboring it a little bit, but I want you to follow me. We are finite humans, and we do not understand the full nature of God. I can get up here and tell you all day long that Jesus is God, but our human comprehension doesn't always get that. And that's okay. Jesus made it okay for that. That's that's fine. But what I want you to start to do is grasp that point, that Jesus is God. Because you cannot understand the humility of what Jesus did at that stable without understanding the magnificence of God that was a humble act by a magnificent God because his humility is demonstrated in the contrast between Jesus as God and Jesus as baby there's the humility for example it's not humble for a busboy to bus tables at a restaurant is it that's his job the owner of the restaurant or the chef goes out and busses tables that's humble that's not their job I'm not trying to be you know, like classist or anything, but that's not their job. The busboy, it is his job. It's a duty of his position. It's not below him, it is his job. It's not humble for a janitor to clean a floor. That's what a janitor's job, that's what his description says. But if the CEO of the corporation comes down and starts mopping the floors, that's a humble act because that's not the position he was hired for. And in the kingdom, it requires no humility for the common people, all of us in this country, we're, we're all, we're, we don't have a, we're not in a kingdom, we're all in a democracy. But it requires no, um, no humility for all of us to interact with each other, eat with each other. We're, we're all common people, we can do that. But in a kingdom, it would require great, great humility. It would co- require great, great humility for the king to work, eat, and socialize, and sit beside them. He'd have to leave his castle... He'd have to leave his his throne room and he'd have to come and he would sit with the people. He would have to lower himself from his noble position to do that. And to understand the humility of Jesus, you must first understand his position as God. Consider just a few of the attributes of God. God is self-existent. He declares himself to be when he says, I am that I am hath sent thee. I am because I am. I exist because I say I exist. He is because he is. He's the cause of everything. Nothing has happened in the universe that he did not set into motion. He caused everything. He caused every thread of every piece of fabric on every pew in this building to be made. That's how, I want to take it real small because I want you to understand how important it is that he caused everything. Every single brick, every particle, molecule of clay he caused to be made do you understand how I I realize I'm kind of up there in the atmosphere but I promise I'm going to bring it down a little bit he is the cause of everything he exists beyond our capability to fully comprehend because he is unlike anything else in the universe we can only know him by what he reveals to us God is also self-sufficient He does not need anything. Nothing that you can give him does he need. He already has it. You can't give him anything that he doesn't need. He, everything that exists came from him. And so anything that is given to him came from him in the first place. Does that make sense? There is nothing necessary for him for there is nothing that you we can add to or subtract from him. He is infinite in relation to time, space, knowledge and power. We usually refer to those things as being eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. And the concept of infinity is hard for us to comprehend because we are finite creatures in space and time. God is not like us. He is a being that has no beginning and he will have no end. I will have a tombstone one day with a year at the front, 1974, and a year at the end. I am a finite being. I will not exist forever, except my soul will, but my life will not, my, my, my physical life will not exist forever. But God exists outside of time. He is a spiritual being who is not bounded by de- uh, the dimensions of space, length, width, and depth. They do not apply to God. You can't measure the vastness of his power and his love. There is nothing that God does not already know about everything, including us. He knows your thoughts. He knows your feelings. He knows your desires better than you do. He exists outside of our understanding of physics because his power is inexhaustible. He created the universe and never lost any power. You drive down the highway, your gas gauge is going to move. You drive far enough, it's going to go to empty. His never has, it stays on full. No matter what act he does, no matter what miracle he accomplishes, no matter what he creates, it stays on full. It's, nothing depletes his power. He is supreme and he is sovereign. Nothing restricts God in any way, not space, not knowledge, not wisdom. And he carries out his will as he desires. He does what he wants when he wants, and nothing can stop it. The only restriction, this is so awesome, the only restriction on God is his own character. He has made promises about who he is and that is the only limitation on God. He is always true to himself and to his word. God is holy and that reflects in the fact that he has an infinite virtue and purity and he is separated from all those things he has created because he is something other than everything else. And that holiness is part of all those those moral attributes we've been talking about in Sunday school, such as faithfulness, goodness, justice, mercy, grace, and love. Even the characteristics that we would think of as negative, they're holy because of him. Things like jealousy, hatred, anger, and wrath. In God, they are perfect. Even the things we would think of negative, they're they're perfect in God. And it is only in contrast to the man, Christ Jesus' position as God, that we can begin to understand his humility in becoming a baby. It's the only way. We get down to Philippians two, seven through eight, and and, and Jesus left all of that. He left all that power. He left all that glory. He left all the majesty. He left all the splendor, and he came as a little bitty baby. The Philippians uh, seven through eight tells us he emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men and a more literal translation it says but himself he emptied the form of a slave he put on in the likeness of men he became his omnipresence was limited to a human body his omniscience was restricted to what a baby can do with its little hands his glory the, glory, the very glory of God was veiled in skin and flesh and bones. This emptying of, uh, emptying of himself would be a wonder above all wonders in, in and of itself, but it's even more so because the text is clear that the form, that nature and the character of a man that he took was that of a slave. He didn't come as a king. He came as a bondsman, a slave. And that makes what is already mind-boggling even more incomprehensible. Most of us, if we were in Jesus Christ's place, had I had the choice, I would have come as the high priest. I would have come as a duke, the king. I would have come as some fancy person with a castle and a a palace and all those kind of things. But he came and was born into a poor family. He lived as a carpenter until he was the age of 30. He became a common man in order that everyone in this room could identify with who he was. See, to be humble is to lower oneself to an inferior position. It is to take a position beneath what you think you are actually deserving of. The reality is that we cannot fully comprehend the humility of Jesus, the creator, the eternal God, in becoming a man and even more so in becoming a man as in the nature of a slave. God became man. There is nothing in the human experience that can can begin to explain that or compare to that. In the next verse, Philippians 2 and 8, we find that Jesus' humility is even greater than what we started to find out is just incomprehensible because now now Paul explains the reason. Jesus became a man and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself even to the point of being obedient enough to die on the cross. Jesus Christ came for the whole purpose of dying and he didn't come to die an ordinary death. He came to die a very specific and a horrible death that was prophesied by the prophets for hundreds of years and our text states that Jesus was then obedient even to the cross. It was no accident that Jesus was crucified. It was the plan of God all along, and Jesus was obedient to it. And in doing so, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. 1 Peter 1 and 18, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just and the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus paid the price for our redemption from sin because he humbled himself. Because he was obedient to the cross, he humbled himself and therefore paid the price so that I am now free because he was humble. And we have an awesome opportunity now. We can put our faith in this same Jesus in order to have that same blood applied to our lives. Christmas is not about Santa Claus. It's not about elves and it's not about reindeer. It is not about giving and receiving gifts. It is not even about the beautiful, the the romanticized Christmas pictures of the stable and the baby Jesus, little baby Jesus surrounded by Joseph and Mary, the animals, the shepherds, and the wise men. No, it's not about that. It is about the incredible humility of God robing himself in flesh in order to bring about the salvation of mankind through his own death on the cross. The sinless man became sin the blessed man became a curse and he was obedient to death and then we see what happened with Jesus because he followed God's plan because he was obedient because he was humble Paul continues in Philippians 2 and 9. Therefore also God hath highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews 10 and 12 states it this way. Jesus having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time is now set down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 2 and 17 puts it in even greater detail. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren, like us, in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He had to do what he did or else he never could have related to us. And that great hope from Hebrew 4 and 15 telling us, telling us that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness. For we have not a high priest who cannot be approached by the feelings of our infirmities. But in all points he was tempted like as we, yet he is without sin. All because Jesus was willing to be humbled. Jesus humbled himself beyond our comprehension and he became the babe in the manger. And then he went further and was obedient to die on the cross. The sinless Jesus Christ suffered the curse of sin on our behalf that we may be made the righteousness of God. And he rose triumphant over death. And he ascended to heaven where he is now the exalted Christ in heaven. King of kings and Lord of lords. All because he was humble. He left the glory of heaven. He left a splendor that we cannot imagine to become a finite, weak baby, human baby. We're the most helpless of species. Some of those uh, uh, giraffes are born, they stand up. Now, they they can't, like, take off running, but they can stand up. Animals are born sometimes to, to immediately be able to avoid predators. We can't walk for a year. We're the most helpless of all the creatures, and the God of the universe became one. He became one of those babies. The stable and the hay might have been better than an open field. Yeah, I wanted to check this out, Brother Kevin. You made this, didn't you? This is probably more well-made than the stable that Jesus was born in, because Brother Kevin made it. I would bet you anything. But this stable is, is nice. It's sitting here on the platform. There's actually carpet underneath it. You know, it, this room's air conditioned. That, that wasn't the case when the night that Jesus was born. The stable in Hay stank. It, it was a bad smell. There were animals there. There were fields. The shepherds hadn't washed in days. Joseph and Mary had just traveled a great distance. They hadn't bathed either. It was a stinky place. It was a horrible place. Even the poor children of the day would have been born in a house. But Jesus was born in a stable. Jesus was born in a stable. His was the most humble birth you can imagine. We sang about his glory at the concert last week and then the song we just sang. We sang about the majesty and the splendor and he was God robed in flesh. Don't get me wrong. I'm not not saying he's not majestic and awesome. But the manner of his appearance to us, the manner in which he came to us gets rid of all of our hesitation at approaching him. You have no reason not to approach him because he came as the most humble, humble being on earth. He became like the lowliest man alive and we have no fears to approach the humble Jesus. My prayer for you this Christmas is that you would truly know the humble Savior, the humble Jesus whose birth we celebrate I want you to know him so that you will experience the forgiveness of his sins. I want you to know him and the healing that he brings. I want you to know him and the true joy of living a life according to God's plan designed for God's glory. I want you to know him because when you encounter the humble Jesus, you too will become humble. And unless we become humble, we will never, ever, 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 ever submit to his plan for our lives. We will never seek God's will over our self-will. Until we experience the lowly, meek, and mild Jesus, we will always want our way first. The number one battle you fight every single day, from, the, from every young person in this room to every elder in this room, the number one battle we fight, you know what it is? Self-will versus God's will. That's the battle everyone in this room fights. We are all fighting that battle every day. What I want, what my flesh wants versus submitting ourselves and being humble and letting God have his way. Until we experience that mild, lowly, humble Jesus, we're always gonna want our way. But following his example of humility in our life is service to God and to others. It will put you in a position to serve in the kingdom The humble Christian is also a soul-winning Christian. And as you serve humbly, you will begin to grow in his kingdom, in knowledge and in wisdom, in holiness and in righteousness, following his will and not your own. And then we come back to the theme of Philippians. We've made a full circle and we're back to the theme of Philippians. Here's my Christmas present to all of you today. Don't come asking me for anything after now. Well, I have two presents, a short sermon and then this thing I'm about to tell you. It's joy. It's joy. That's your Christmas present. Follow the humble Jesus and you will find joy. Yes. Don't think of what you're owed or what you deserve. or You will find joy. Yes. Seek His will and not your will and joy will find you. Stop glorifying and gratifying yourself and seek His kingdom first and you will find Joy. Be humble today let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus humility let it be in you today humility just like Jesus exampled I'm not gonna have an altar call today you've either heard what I said or you didn't you've either either felt the gentle call of the Holy Spirit or you haven't it is all based on your willingness to be humble I want to close this way can everybody stand I want us to leave our seats. Sister Michael's going to play a Christmas song, "Joy to the World." I think. I want us to leave our seats, and I want you to go find five people. And once you have found five people and done what I, and do what I say, you're dismissed. But I want you to find five people. You can find fifty. I know how this church is. You're not limited to five, but I want you to find at least five people, and I want you to hug them. This is where we start serving. This room is where we start serving serving each other my brothers in Christ my sisters in Christ this is where we start serving and just as a suggestion some of you elders I wish you would find a young person that you don't know young people I wish you would find an elder that you may not know if you live in if you sit in the back I want you to find somebody in the front that you don't talk to every Sunday if you normally sit on the left find somebody on the right that you don't always talk to Humility means serving and loving the people we don't always have something in common with. And after you have hugged five people, you are dismissed. You know what? It may actually be the people who are closest to you. It may be your wife or your husband. That may be the person you need to, to remind, I am here to serve you. Marissa and Miles and Maggie and Clara and Cam, I need to hug them this morning and remind them that my job is to serve them. That's what I'm here for. So I want you to find five people, and you're dismissed after five, but you can go up to 50. Nobody's going to count. But this year, this Christmas, let us serve each other with humility. Let us love God with our whole hearts, and let us follow his examples.